from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. If I asked you what is the most important thing in life, you would probably say things like family, faith, or acts of kindness. I highly doubt that anyone listening to this podcast would say that money and possessions are the most important things in life. But in reality, we don't always live our lives according to what we value, because in our day-to-day lives, it's easy to lose sight of what really matters. On today's episode, we are going to strip away the illusions that can confuse us and cloud our judgment in the choices that we make every day. We will study the biblical account of Korah, whose perspective was so skewed that he made some very poor choices, which he paid for dearly. We will learn from Korah's mistakes that we can live lives that are truly aligned with our values and make good choices that will benefit us for eternity. Every week, Jews around the world read and study the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha covers Numbers chapter 16 through 18. It is called Korach, which is Hebrew for Korah, the name of the main character in the reading. In this Parsha, we'll read about the rebellion that Korah led against Moses and Aaron, challenging their leadership and Aaron's priesthood. Korah was joined by two men named Datan and Abiram and 250 followers who were all prestigious leaders in the nation of Israel. This was a serious rebellion, not just against Moses and Aaron, but also against God who had appointed them as the main leaders of Israel. This situation came to a head when God directed Moses to instruct the Israelites to distance themselves from Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and their homes. The verses that we will focus on today pick up after Moses issued that warning. They're from Numbers 16, verses 28 through 33, and I'm going to read them to you now. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, Then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground actually did that. Under them, it split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. This is our verse of today. 
And needless to say, it did not end well for Korah and his followers. Korah, Dathan, and Abiram were miraculously swallowed by the land, along with their families and their possessions, and the 250 followers were killed by a fire from God. Now, we have to wonder, who was Korah? And why did he act so foolishly? Did he really think that he could take on God and God's chosen leaders? According to Jewish tradition, Korah was an extremely wealthy man. Even today, there is a Hebrew expression that's used, as rich as Korah, which is used to describe an extremely wealthy person. Korah is said to have been one of the wealthiest people to ever live. But the rabbis also taught that Korah's wealth is what led to his downfall. In Ecclesiastes 5.13, King Solomon wrote, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. This verse is a reference to Korah, whose wealth ended up causing him great harm. We often think of poverty as the great test of faith, but the truth is that having wealth is also a great test, maybe even a harder one to pass. And Korah failed this test miserably. Korah's wealth gave him a false sense of security and importance. It enabled him to think that he was greater than he really was. And this is why he foolishly believed that he was greater than Moses and Aaron and that he could even challenge God's will. As a result, Korah lost not only his wealth and possessions, but his life and the lives of his family members who were swallowed up by the earth together with him. According to Jewish tradition, Korah's sons initially supported him and his rebellion, but when the sons were swallowed by the ground, they understood their error and immediately repented. The book of Psalms has 12 psalms that are attributed to these sons of Korah. Korah's sons wrote these psalms while they were under the ground. After they wrote the psalms and had fully repented, God miraculously led them out from the ground and their lives were spared. Psalm 49 is one of the psalms written by Korah's sons. And when we read it within this context in mind, the psalm makes so much more sense. In verse 12 and 13, this is what we read. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve of their sayings. Do you see how this psalm makes so much more sense with the background story we just talked about? Korah's sons wrote about their father, who trusted in himself because of his wealth, and the 250 men that maybe blindly followed him. We can imagine the profound clarity that Korah's sons had as they stood in between worlds, watching their wealthy father and his prominent supporters perish in an instant. Where was their wealth now? Verse 8 of Psalm 49 reads, The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough. Korasans witnessed how all the money in the world could not buy back even a moment of precious life. 
And they understood that no matter how much a person has, none of it goes with them when they die. In verse 16 and 17, they wrote, Do not be overawed when others grow rich, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Korah's sons learned very clearly that while most people place so much value on money and possessions, ultimately, they are absolutely meaningless. The lessons that Korah's sons learned and put into Psalms are nothing that we don't know already. Everyone knows that it is impossible to take anything physical into the spiritual world with them. But there are two types of knowing. There's knowing with our heads, and then there's knowing with our hearts in a way that what we know actually influences how we live. We may know that money and possessions are temporary and not what really matters, but we don't always live our lives that way. I want to share a story with you that I read years ago. It's about how one man taught this lesson to his children and grandchildren in a way that would make a deep and lasting impression on them. In 2005, a Jewish man named Edward Reichman passed away in Jerusalem at the age of 80. He was a real estate tycoon who left behind billions of dollars, and he also left two wills with instructions to open the first will immediately and the second, 30 days after his death. When the Reichman family opened the first will, they found a very strange request. Edward had asked to be buried in his favorite pair of socks. Now, Judaism has very clear laws when it comes to death and burial. Every Jewish person is buried in simple burial shrouds and nothing more. Nothing else is allowed on the body or in the casket, period. There's no exceptions. But the Reichman children were confused. They didn't know what to do. So they went to rabbi after rabbi, seeking permission to obey their father's request to be buried in his socks. But no rabbi could help them. In the end, Edward Reichman was buried the same way as everyone else without his socks. Now, 30 days later, Edward's children opened his second will. This is what it said. My dear children, by now you must have buried me without my socks. I wanted you to truly understand that a man can have all the money in the world, but in the end, he can't even take along one pair of socks. Edward Reichman left his children plenty of money, but I think that the most valuable thing that he left them was this lesson. It was a gift of clarity that would help them live good and meaningful lives, knowing this message of what's important, not only in their heads, but in their hearts. As Korah's son learned and Edward Reichman taught his children, we can't take anything with us when we die. We leave all of our money and possessions behind. But the truth is that there is something that we can take with us, and that is our good deeds and character that stay with us and accompany us to heaven forever. This idea gave me great comfort during the week of mourning, the Shiva, after my Abba, after my father passed away. 
In case you aren't familiar with the practice of Shiva, it's when the immediate family members of a deceased person spend one full week mourning their loss and receiving visitors who come to pay condolences. During the Shiva for my father, my family and I received hundreds of visitors every single day, many of whom were people who my father helped through his work at the fellowship. They reminded me of all the good deeds that my father did in his lifetime and how all of those good deeds stood with him in heaven. They were accompanying him at that very moment of his transition. And every night when the visitors left and I missed my father so much, I would close my eyes and imagine all the people that my father helped when they were alive, welcoming him into heaven. I imagined all of the Holocaust survivors across the former Soviet Union who he made sure had enough food to eat and enough money for heat in their final years. The Jews that he saved from dangerous countries by bringing them safely to live in Israel. The people whose lives were saved by the medical equipment and bomb shelters that the fellowship provided all over Israel. I was comforted by knowing that my father was not alone, that he was accompanied by the good deeds that he did and all the people that he helped in his lifetime. And I took great comfort knowing that my father took so many good deeds with him to heaven to last eternity. Judaism teaches that our good deeds and character have incredible value in eternity. Every single time that we do a good deed, it is as though we made a deposit in our eternal bank account. Every time we demonstrate virtues like faith, honesty, and morality, we add to it. These ideas are in the Christian Bible as well. In 1 Timothy 6, verses 18 to 19, it says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And in Matthew 6, 20, it says, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. As both of these verses imply, the only true wealth we ever really have are the treasures that we have in heaven. Life is an amazing opportunity to build up our spiritual bank account. There are endless opportunities to be generous and kind, but we live in a world full of illusions and we can easily find ourselves overly focused on our physical bank instead of on our spiritual one. There is an old Jewish parable that demonstrates how this illusion created by the material world can get us totally off track if we let it. This parable has been a source of clarity for me ever since I heard it when I was a little girl, and I want to share it with you now. It's called the Parable of the Island of Diamonds. There once was a young man who traveled to a faraway land to earn a livelihood to support his family who stayed behind. He had heard that this faraway place had streets lined with diamonds and rubies and all other types of precious gems. 
He arrived and he found jewels on the ground as one would usually find grass growing. Elated, he picked up a few handfuls of gems, stuffed his pockets, and went into a restaurant to eat a solid meal. After eating a delicious meal, the man pulled out an emerald to pay for his food, but he quickly discovered that the gems, because of their commonness, were completely worthless, kind of like grass. The commodity of value in that land was chicken fat. So that night he scrubbed dishes to pay for his food, but in time he found a job and saved enough to start his own business. Eventually, the man amassed a large fortune in chicken fat. After a number of years, the man's wife sent him a message that she wanted him to come home already. So he sold his business and chartered a ship, loading it with ton after ton of chicken fat. With such fabulous wealth, his family would live like royalty, he thought, for the rest of their lives. He sent a letter to his wife instructing her and their children to greet him at the port in his hometown when his ship would be arriving with his fantastic fortune. The day he arrived at his home port, the whole town came out to greet him. They were so excited. It was a warm day, and they were ready to see the type of wealth that he amassed. As the ship neared the shore, they began to notice a terrible smell. The businessman's wife looked shocked and confused as the crew unloaded case after case of rotting chicken fat. So he explained the financial system of the far-off land and that this fat was the fantastic wealth that he had spent so many years accumulating during his many years away. But the man's wife was not impressed. You have made a terrible mistake, she cried. You forgot that in our land, chicken fat has absolutely no value. You could have brought home boatloads of diamonds, but instead you came home with tons of worthless, rotted chicken fat. When the merchant finally came to senses, wow, he felt tremendous regret. But then he remembered his first day on that island so many years ago when he did stuff his pockets with a few handfuls of gems. He reached into the pockets of his old clothing and pulled out some of the precious stones and handed them over to his wife. In the end, the relatively few diamonds and other jewels helped sustain his family comfortably for the rest of their lives. As this parable so powerfully demonstrates, living in this material world can easily make us forget what kind of currency is considered precious back home the place from where our souls came and are destined to return. The good news is that even just a few diamonds, just a few good deeds have an unimaginable value up in heaven. But as people of faith, we need to remind ourselves every day of what really matters and dedicate our lives to doing as many good deeds as we can. We should collect acts of kindness like people collect diamonds, we should value good character like people value precious gems. What if you saw opportunity to be kind to someone as a unique chance to collect a diamond? Would you live your life differently? Every day we are surrounded by endless opportunities to build up our treasures in heaven, 
where we will enjoy them for eternity. I want to end with one final story that sums up everything that we've talked about. It's a story of the Kaiser and the rabbi. A prominent rabbi who lived in the 17th century was once ordered by the German Roman Kaiser to present an accounting of everything that he owned. So the rabbi submitted his financial statement, but after the Kaiser reviewed it, he accused the rabbi of lying. The Kaiser reminded the rabbi that he had personally given him a castle, and that alone was more valuable than the statement handed over by the rabbi. So the rabbi responded by explaining that he had been asked to list everything that he owned, but since the castle was a gift from the Kaiser, which could be taken away at any moment, it wasn't actually his. He didn't actually own it. The Kaiser wasn't satisfied. He held up the list angrily and said, then what is recorded on this list that you actually own? The rabbi looked at him and answered, It's a list of the charity that I have given. Only what I have given away is truly mine. Even the Kaiser cannot take that away. Ultimately, the only thing that any of us ever really have is what we have given of ourselves. Money and possessions may last for a lifetime, but our good deeds and character, those last forever. Consider taking one week, one day, or even just one hour to see every act of kindness as a diamond. Try to collect as many as you can. You may just find that not only have you contributed significantly to your treasure trove in heaven, but that you have also greatly enriched your life here on earth as well. Shavuot tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.